0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's
1: message. Thanks again for listening.
2: You know, my favorite book in all of the Bible is Jonah. There's so much packed into the book of Jonah, and I just love it. And if you've never read it or you haven't read it in a long time, it's only four chapters long, and I encourage you to go dive into that. There's so much truth packed into one small book, but one of my favorite aspects of it I'm going to talk about today, but just a little backstory on the book of Jonah and his life. You know, he was a man that was a prophet of God, and so he was a prophet of God, and God called him one day and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and he's like, God, I I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to do it, but God's like, no, Jonah, I, I need you to go to Nineveh, And so instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah gets on a boat to go in the complete opposite direction. And so he gets on this boat, and he's on this boat. And while he's on that boat, he is there, and the guys are with him there. And they encounter this storm, and there's this guy that's on the boat that goes to get Jonah, and he brings him up on the top, and he's like, we don't know what to do about this storm. We don't know how to get through it. We don't know how to overcome this storm. And so Jonah says, this is my fault. You are in this mess because I didn't listen to God. And so the guys are like, no, it's fine. We'll get through this. And they try to paddle back to shore and try to get through the storm, and they can't do it. And so they get to this point where they know the only option that they have is to throw Jonah overboard. And listen to what it says says in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 15, it says, Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. You know, one of the truths of this story that so many of us, can encounter in our own lives is the fact that we find ourselves in situations sometimes that we don't know how to get out of for the men on this boat they found themselves in a situation that wasn't their own fault jonah had brought this mess to them and they were in it and they couldn't get out of it in their own power for jonah he brought himself into that mess and he was there because of some situations and some decisions that he had made himself and so when we find ourselves in moments of life where we don't know where to turn, where we don't know what to do, what are we supposed to do? You know, I think one of the truths that the Bible teaches us, if we really read it from cover to cover, there are story after story after story of moments very similar to this, where someone finds themselves in a position, and they don't know how to get out of it. They don't know what the end result's going to be, other than a really, really poor result. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego— three young boys, they found themselves being thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to kneel before the king. And so they're standing there and they know that there's nothing they can do to get out of this situation now. For Paul and Silas, they found themselves trapped in jail and they didn't believe that God was done with their ministry yet, but they found themselves in jail and they didn't know how to get out. For Daniel, he found themselves going into a lion's den and he didn't know how to come out of that no one walked out the next morning after spending a night in the lion's den and for some of the disciples they found themselves one day in a very similar situation to what Jonah found himself in in this story they were on a boat in a storm and they didn't know how to get out of the storm and for your life and for my life we find ourselves in very similar situations sometimes Sometimes we put ourselves there, and sometimes life circumstances just get us into a place where we don't know how to get out. We don't know what the end result is. But every one of those stories I just mentioned, something incredible happened. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they threw three boys in there, and they look up, and there were four people standing in the fire because God showed up. For Paul and for Silas, God literally sent an earthquake to break open the doors of the jail so that they could go out and continue minister for daniel when he went into the lion's den god shut the mouths of the lion and for the disciples in the storm that day god sent jesus who was asleep in the boat and jesus got up and said peace be still and i don't know what's going on in your life today but right there in your living room or right there in your car as you're listening to this or wherever you may be watching this service I want you to know that you're not alone, that God's right there with you. And with Jonah, when God sent a fish to be his rescue, it was the worst three-day stay at any Airbnb or BRBO or bread and be- bed and breakfast or whatever to anyone's ever had. But God sent a rescue in an unbelievable way and in your life today i just want to encourage you that right there in your living room god's with you you're not alone in this storm you're not alone in this season and you don't have to walk out thinking i don't know what to do but god is there with you today thanks so much
1: well good morning generations church family i'm so excited to be here i'm Mary Beth popham and um, I'm just thrilled to be able to share with you a little bit this morning about what God has laid on my heart. You know, um, I was sitting there thinking about what's happened over the last, you know, couple of months. And I've thought about the norm of things. So I decided to kind of talk for a moment on navigating what's next. What's next? So nine weeks ago, most of us experienced a drastic change in our everyday life. And our norm became increasingly foreign and life as we knew it was not normal anymore. For me, my dining table became my teaching desk and my computer became my ride-or-die teaching companion. My children's classroom resembled our family living room and school desks and chairs were replaced with comfy couches and tray tables and pajamas. Well, they've become the outfit of choice and showers seem optional. Sound familiar? (laughs) Maybe so. Well, I miss many things about the former way of life we had established I'm grateful for the abrupt brick wall that halted life as we knew it the past couple of months have forced me to slow down and to prioritize the important things in life and proceed with a different and or new perspective rather I've heard it said I wish things would just get back to normal and I can't help but pause and think to myself what is normal in Ephesians 4 verse 22 the Bible says throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception wow thanks Paul I mean he uses some really powerful and intense verbs when speaking to the Gentiles about living as children of God however I believe when we are thinking about moving forward with life and our next steps it's imperative for us to establish a new normal instead of returning to our old way of life let's take advantage of the changing times and create a new way of living and doing life it's been said that it takes a minimum of 21 days to form a habit so if that reigns true then we are currently living our best normal life although when navigating what's next let's go back to ephesians look in verse 23 it says instead Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Which bring me to the point number two, rather, brings me to that point, forgive me. When navigating our next steps, let the Spirit guide you to what God wants for you right now. Not yesterday or the month ago or 66 days, I believe, ago or what it is, but right now. In verse 23, Paul continues and he says... He gives us clear instruction for our changing our behaviors and establishing a new and different way of thinking and he says this we are reminded to be led by the spirit at all times in romans 12 verse 2 he continues and he says or excuse me he goes on and says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let god transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know god's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect When we are saved by God's grace, we are accepted by Christ and forgiven of our sins. In that moment, we also make the decision to surrender our life completely to a loving and merciful God. However, if we continue to think and live as we did before surrendering to Christ, then how are we different? Are we truly being led by the spirit, trusting him to guide us in what God wants? Are we continuing in a state of comfort and complacency By letting our former or current thoughts and attitudes dictate what we want. I encourage you to ask God to help you change your thinking and allow the Holy Spirit to guide your decisions. Lastly, when navigating what's next, we need to walk in holiness, which is the path towards perfection. Paul once again provides us with explicit instruction in verse 24 of Ephesians chapter 4, and he says, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. He saved us from the desires, and he desires, excuse me, for us to live a holy life, not because we deserve it, but it was his plan before the beginning of time. So his word tells us that we are his masterpiece. Therefore, I believe we should set our sights on things above and take time to ask what his desire for us is as we look to creating a new norm.
3: Good morning, Generations Church. Please stand and worship with us. That is what I normally say. Um, just kidding. My name is Steve Mallow. I am the worship pastor here at Generations Church, and I am so blessed to be able to speak with you this morning. Uh, today, I want to talk about Daniel's blessing. But before we dive in, let me give you some context here. So, what's so neat about the book of Daniel is that it is a book that brings hope and restores faithfulness to those that are struggling and in their lack of it. So in chapters 1, 3, and 6, the stories in those chapters were about faithfulness despite persecution, to offer hope to God's suffering nation. Daniel's visions encourage patience to God, that God's people are to wait for his rule over our world and vindicate them from their suffering. In that time, Daniel was taken into Babylon with his his three friends. We all know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. During this time, Daniel was interpreting dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar. In this specific chapter, Daniel heard the king was to kill all the wise men in Babylon. We hear Daniel pray a blessing over the Lord after God has given Daniel a vision unto the king's dream and what it means. Let's look in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him to you. O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So let's break this down. Number one, he changes times and seasons. He will change the season, which we all know, the weather here in Georgia's one, two, be, uh explanation of that, because the season's supposed to change, but obviously the weather hasn't. But um, all of our seasons right now are probably looking the same and feeling the same. And what I mean by that is we're all sitting at home, we're all kind of confused and things that are going on, but we've all heard the phrase, it's in his time. It's cliche, but it's true. His timing is what is the most difficult to wait on. When witness, when we witness his timing unfold, it's a beautiful thing to see. All right, number two, he removes kings and sets up kings. God's hand is in everything that is happening in our lives, whether it be a job with terrible leadership or you are the leader in that job. Sometimes our time or season could be in leading or being set up to lead at a later date. And again, that is in his timing, which goes right back to season's times. Number 3. He reveals deep and hidden things. How many of you have been through something and found out later it worked out completely? I know I know I've had that many times and then not to find out until later, oh my goodness, the Lord has totally opened my eyes to something I had no idea he was already doing in that midst. Only reason it did and actually went through was because if I hadn't failed or gone through that pain he would not have revealed that to me you would have never known until after the fact and you do some self-reflecting then you look and you see the picture as a whole and say thank you god for providing in such a way i could never fathom another thing to consider is the various places we find in the scriptures where god exposes foolishness in the world and deception of satan some of these examples Or the way God exposes the counselors of Babylon. Elijah exposing the deception of Baal. 1 Kings 18. Jeremiah confronting the false prophet Hananiah in Jeremiah 28. And there are plenty of other examples. But God has a tendency of exposing what is in the darkness. He knows it is there and is always exposing it with his light. Number four. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Jesus knows what's ahead of you, behind you. He knows your path and where you will go, what mistakes you will make. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Lord knows what is in the darkness, and dwelling with the Father will be the only way we will truly see what is in the darkness and how to protect ourselves from it. Let us bless the Lord the way Daniel did, even in our times of darkness, our seasons of doubt, or during our time of pain and sadness. He reveals himself to us in hidden ways when we least expect it. We give him all the thanks and praise, amen.
4: Hello everyone, my name is Haley Kamitz For those who don't know me, my husband is the family ministry pastor here at Generations Church, and it truly, truly is our joy to serve you, your families, and the next generation. We have two children, Praise is 18 months old, and we have our daughter due in six short weeks. Over the past year and a half, uh, motherhood has taught me so many things, but the number one thing that I think motherhood has taught me is that there is no normal. Each day looks different, each feeling looks different. And I'm sure that during this pandemic, you guys have figured out that there really is no normal either. (laughs) But because there is no normal, my time in the Word looks different every morning. And so one morning amongst the cartoons and, you know, the quarantine life, I was able to read in Psalm 63, and verse 1 completely wrecked me. It said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you is in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And the first thing that came to my mind was, how do we make God our God on a daily basis when there is no normal? And I felt him so clearly in my spirit say, you are not satisfied with a day without me. So often I find myself making excuses on why I can't be in the Word or why I can't turn on worship music or why I can't pray. And then three weeks later, I'm opening the Bible up on my own for the first time. And our schedule is full of so many things and so many things that we have to get done. And God doesn't expect us to spend two hours journaling in our Bible, but he does expect us to make him our God every day. So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? I have two points that I'm going to share with you this morning. The first one is to invite God into your schedule instead of trying to make your schedule around God. Now this might sound counter-Christian culture, but when Jesus tore the veil, he tore the veil so that his presence could come into everything that you do every day. So that might look like when you're cooking, invite him into the kitchen, or when you're showering and getting ready in the morning, you turn on worship music, or maybe that looks like when you're in the car, you're praying over your family. But this can't happen or be sustainable if we don't do point number two. Point number two is to treat Jesus and his Holy Spirit like a person. So often we find ourselves picturing God as this huge man in the sky who just wants to boss you around all the time. His word says that he will never leave us or forsake us. So let's start treating him like he's actually there. So next time you go to put on worship music, picture him in the room with you and actually sing to him. Or when you're in the car driving and you're praying, picture him in the passenger seat next to you, intently listening to every word because he is. If you don't do this, you will never see your relationship with God as a relationship, you will always see it as an obligation. He's real. He is more real than the breath inside your lungs. He wants to create with you. He is a lover of the journey. And there is not one part of your heart or your life that he doesn't want to be a part of. So just a couple practical applications for the week is number one, find an area of your life where you can invite him into. And tell somebody about it. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. You will never get stronger in your relationship with Jesus if you don't find somebody to keep you accountable for the things that he's showing you. That could be your spouse. That could be a family member. That could be somebody in your G group. The second practical application is that when you invite him in, Treat Him like He is in the room, because He is, and He deeply desires for you to see Him as a friend. So my prayer for you is that when you do this, that you'll experience His love in a new way, that you will see Him as your friend, and that you will tangibly feel His presence in your home this week. Thank you so much.
5: Good morning, Generations Church. My name is Matt, and I'm so glad that you can be with us worshiping the Lord today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 55, verse 22. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about a time that someone said that they loved you, and you thought, well, I don't feel loved. I need somebody to show me some love. Well, chances are, if you've ever been in a situation like that, what you were really saying is is that I need to be cared for. I need to feel like somebody cares for me. So we're going to spend the next few moments talking about how God has called us to care and be cared for. The Bible says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. See, caring for others means putting, putting your wants and desires on the back burner and putting someone else before you. Caring is a commitment. It's long-term. Caring is sticking by and helping someone through whatever it is that they're walking through. And it means that you're looking past whatever the present situation is, looking forward to a hope in the future. And then you begin to diligently work towards that hope together with someone else. Care can often be expressed uh, as love towards one another in action. So when David writes Psalm 55, he is very much in need of care. He needs someone to come beside him to encourage him, to save him and to walk with him through his circumstances. In verse 4 he writes, "My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me; fear and trembling have come upon me, and horror overwhelms me." See, caring is a relationship. It takes two people working together for it to happen. And when we think about it, care really begins when someone admits that they need help outside of themselves. David realized when he was, that he was in such a place and the abode of his anguish could not be reached by mortal men. He needed God to express to him his love and loving kindness and mercy and grace and come and help him and rescue him in his time of trouble. So in verse 16, David writes, But I call to God and the Lord will save me. See, because God cared for him, David received that care. He was filled with faith, hope, and trust and was able to look past his present circumstances into the future of God's providential plan for his life and boldly begin to travel towards that heading. See, like David, we are all in need of saving. Even if we've already experienced God's saving grace, we will always need a savior Because as sure as the dew falls in the morning, the tempest of life will rage and the enemies of our soul will try as he might to shake the vessel of our salvation by the rough waters of life. But we shall not be swayed nor shall we be removed from that heading because Jesus Christ is our captain and he will keep our path straight and true. He is ever residing on the bow of our hearts, speaking to our situations, peace be still. And the Holy Spirit is there securing the ropes and battening down the hatches. And when we are frustrated and flustered, He brings to us the gifts of joy and comfort straight from the Father. And we shall not be shaken because He cares for us. If you are in need of care today, I encourage you to be courageous, to cast your pride aside and let someone give you the care that you need. But just as surely as someone will realize that they are in need of help outside of themselves, they will need a person to help bear their burden and care for them. In Psalm 55, De- God, David excuse me, desperately needs God to care for him. But more often than not, God works through people just like me and you to bring care to others. See, as God positioned David's mighty men and others around him, To help him in his time of need, so has God placed caring people around you and me. And the opposite is also true. He has placed you and me around others in order to care for them. And in caring for others, we are co-laborers with God as we minister his love to others in our commitment to care for them. So I encourage you within this next week to go and do three things for someone that says, I care. Maybe that's mowing a neighbor's lawn or taking a meal to someone or playing with your kids a few extra minutes. See, love says, I want you, I want better for you than your present circumstances. But care grabs that person by the hand and says, let's go there together. And when you do this, remember that when you you cast your cares upon the cross where Jesus died, you can let all your burdens roll away and take upon yourself his light and easy yoke. He's calling you because He cares. Won't you answer His call today?
6: Good morning, my name is Lauren Hyman, and I'm going to share... Two stories in the Bible about two men named Noah and Abraham. Noah is the guy that built the ark. And Noah, or God came to Noah and promised him that he was going to save his family. But he was going to destroy the rest of the earth. And he was going, he made a promise to Noah that he would secure his family. And the Lord said, or the Bible says about Noah that Noah was faithful to God. So he built The ark. The floods came. He got his family onto the ark, and for two and a half years they were on there, and they finally got on dry land. And as soon as Noah got off the boat, he built an altar and worshiped the Lord for the promise that God had given him. Then we get to Abraham he has been given many promises from God and almost always Abraham at the beginning of the promise when God gave him a promise he made an altar there to remember exactly what the Lord had told him that when his promise wasn't there and hasn't came through he can look back and remember it and so maybe the Lord has given you a promise And I want you to, for when I think about a promise that God has given me, God has given me that promise. And what I think is that God is going to be faithful to fulfill his promise that he's given me. I'm not on the hook to fulfill it, he is. So as you're walking through that promise, you can cling to, you can be faithful with God. And so what I want us to look at is how these people worshiped God. They weren't just saying, high five God, you gave me this blessing. They were intentional about worshiping their God. Noah was intentional about making that altar after the fact that the promise was fulfilled. For Abraham, it was before, but it was a process. And when we're given a promise, from God, there is a process we have to walk through. And since God is gonna be faithful to me, hes I've gotta be uh, reliable and be faithful to Him. And here's the thing, we can celebrate the fact that we've been given a promise. And we can celebrate the fact that when the promise is given, but the beauty of the promise is the process. And I have a choice. I can either walk in that promise with God, alongside of Him because He's gonna be faithful to me, or I can choose to walk out because that promise is not what I thought it would be. The promise is taking too much longer, but I can you have a choice. And so another thing that they did is they made an altar. And I want to ask you, what is your altar? Is there a promise that God has given you? Was there a time, was there a moment, was there a place that you were given a promise of God and you're in that process? I want to encourage you to go back to that place go back to that moment go back to that memory and write it down go buy a sign a quote make one do something and set it aside write it on your heart and your mind and set it aside as an altar because here's the thing there's going to be a process in this and when you're in the process and you feel like the, pro- the promise isn't there. You may feel like that you've been forgotten. You may feel like that it isn't coming in the way you thought. But you can look at that altar and you can say, but my God is still enough. He's going to be faithful to that promise. And he has given me that promise and I can look there and remember the goodness of God. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you feel like you are in the middle of your promise, be faithful to God. He's going to remain faithful to you. And I encourage you, set aside a place, a time, a moment as an altar so that you can worship the God. Because here's the thing, when that promise comes to pass, you, that altar can be a place of remembrance for you to truly worship him. And it can be a symbol of what he's done. And you can say that my God is enough. My God is able and he is faithful to his promise.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Casey Kamitz, and I'm so excited to be able to just share with you a little bit this morning. Um, as I was spending time in the Word this week, uh, the Lord told me that uh, he wanted to speak about words and what does that look like. Um, and in Luke 6:45, it says that a good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, and that last that last line really got me. And the first thing that just stuck out to me is that um, that your words, the words that you speak, show what you value. And imagine if I were to put a mic on you and record you for an entire week. And then once the week was over, we we put all of your words into a pie chart and said um, it it would be uh, divided up based on subject matter. And what would that say about you? What would it say that you talk about the most? What would it say that you really, truly value? Would it be a lot of small talk? Would it be talking about sports? Would it be talking about the weather or the news or the coronavirus? What would it be that you talk about the most? What do you really value? Where would your faith fit into that picture, in that pie chart? What about what God is speaking and doing in and through your life? The second thing that we can see through Luke 6.45 is that your words reflect what you're feeding yourself. And if anyone has ever heard the saying that what goes up must come down, you might have heard this one as well of what goes in has to come out, and what you are filling yourself with is going to come out in your words. A great positive example of this is in Acts 4.20, and it's where Peter and John— got thrown into prison, and they're in prison um, because they were preaching the gospel and talking about Jesus. And they were in prison, and then they uh, get on trial before the religious leaders um, and the Pharisees, and they're talking and telling them, hey, you can't do this anymore, don't talk about Jesus. And Peter responds and says this, as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. They couldn't help but explode with what they had experienced and what they were filled with. There was so much good stored up in their hearts that they couldn't stop. It couldn't stop coming out of their words and out of what they um, what they had experienced. Peter and John were so full of truth because of the time that they spent with Jesus, that it oozed out of every conversation, everywhere they went, everybody they talked to, they couldn't help but tell of what they had experienced and seen and what Jesus had done for them. So as we are in this crazy season, we have to be aware of what we are filling ourselves with. Um, you're, it's going to come out uh, in your words to your spouse, to your children, to your coworkers, um, And we need to really be aware of what are we putting in ourselves because it's going to come out. Um, is it too much Netflix? Is it movies? Is it music? What are we filling ourselves with? Right now, it's important to be filling ourselves with what's pure, what's righteous, what's whole, with what's holy, what's admirable. Those are the things that we want to come out of our lives. So that's what we have to be filling ourselves with. So two quick things. Um, number one is evaluate what's coming out of your mouth right now. Pretend that you're recording all of your conversations, and what, what is the majority of what you're talking about? Because that's what you value. What are you talking about? Is it uplifting? Is it positive? Is it encouraging to people? Because you're not going to know if, if you need to change if you're not aware of what you're speaking right now. So evaluate what you're talking about right now. And number two is start doing things differently, Uh, This week, if you wake up every morning and as you're going to work, you, you turn on the radio and listen to sports talk radio or whatever it may be, turn on some worship music. If you wake up and turn on the news and are listening to the media, Instead, open up your Bible app and spend some time with him. Or maybe before you go to bed, instead of uh, watching that last episode of your favorite TV show on Netflix, maybe you read a book and try to fill yourself with things that are going to help you grow and mature in being a, a, a husband or a wife or a parent or a better person. Um, and uh, so, so my heart um, for you is that we become like Peter and John who couldn't help but speak and ooze out everything that is good, everything that Jesus is doing in our lives, and that our words would start to reflect what we are filling ourselves with. Thank you so much.
7: Well, good morning, Generations Church. My name is Jess Mallow, and excuse me, (laughs) I have two babies in my stomach right now, so I'm just going to sit right down here (laughs) and not stand like everybody else has today. So um, I'm sorry if that's rude to you, but I also don't want to pass out. Um, So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles with me this morning to John 9, And um, let me pull it up here. I'm sorry. All right. So we're going to read John 9, 1 through 7. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the, task assigned, um, uh, the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. So... Jesus is calling himself here the light of the world for the first time, and he's declaring that not only is he the way, the truth, and the life, but if you look in the context of what's happening in this book and you read the two chapters leading up to chapter 9, you'll see that Jerusalem was just closing one of their biblical feasts in which the Jewish culture—sorry, I'm wasting my breath you'll observe that Jerusalem was just closing one of their biblical feasts in which the Jewish culture was celebrating together. This specific festival is called Sukkot, and it's also called Feast of Tabernacles. Sukkot is the Hebrew word for booths transliterating to something similar to the word tent for us today. The Feast of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Sukkot, is a Torah-ordained festival for God's people to remember what he did for them in the wilderness. The way that he provided the pillar by fire, um, the pillar of fire by night uh, for light and for warmth, and the cloud covering by day. They built him a sukkah or a tent, And they followed God throughout the wilderness with a transportable tabernacle. God provided for them, and he prepared them. Even after the Israelites entered the promised land, they still celebrate this to recall where they had come from. Every year for this festival, the Jewish people illuminated the temple for the duration of seven days of this festival to remember God's provision and our dependence on him and our utter depravity without him. To celebrate this beautiful festival, the Hebrew people would, and still do to this day, build tents and illuminate them with their own candles and lights. They would eat and drink together in these tents. They read the word of God together and they worship with friends and family. Even modern day, when the sun goes down during the seven nights of this festival, the lights of each individual Family's tent illuminates the area, and the family remembers together the light that was Yahweh. They even weave branches into the top of the tents so they're able to look up at the stars together and remember God's co- conversation and covenant with Abraham. God promising Abraham the number of descendants will be like the stars in the sky. There's a lot of other beautiful symbolism here that I have no time to get into, but at the very close of this festival, Jesus declares in Jerusalem, I am the light of the world. Jesus deliberately chose this time to declare himself as the light of the world, and it was a very intentional claim to his deity. Anytime Jesus performs a miracle in scripture, he says, now go and tell of what I've done. In so many instances, salvation must be tied to these miracles of Christ. So my question for you all today is what do you need God to illuminate in your life? What do you need God to illuminate in your life today? in your family's lives? And what do you need God? I'm sorry. What do you need God to illuminate in your life today? That others would know him because of what he has illuminated in your life. Just as the blind man we read about earlier, he is capable. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow and never underestimate the power that he still has to illuminate anything that you need him to. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks
0: again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations
1: Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.